there's a long gap between what I call surreal life and real life. From the surreal to the real. Uh, surreal is kind of that, wow. And, sur- and real is, wow. <laughs> surreal is, uh, I was 17 years old in Dresden, Tennessee, doing pretty much the only thing we were allowed to do legally for fun, which was drive around country roads, had a 1975 uh, Caprice Classic, two bench seats, seven riders and myself, having a big old time, going down Chicken Road, see a coon hunter kind of walking out toward the street with a shotgun in his hand. That's not surprising. That's the kind of thing you see in Dresden, Tennessee at 10 o'clock at night. All of a sudden, he pulls up the gun. He starts firing. Whoa! He's shooting behind our car. How funny. Everybody's freaking out, yelling, ah! Greatest time ever. Get to town. Pull over. Tell everybody the story. Go walk outside the car. Find five bullet holes in my trunk. Whoa. He was shooting at my car. It went from being surreal to real. It went from being cool and got like this weird, wild thing to being this terrifying, mind-altering, life-changing. Fall, I fell down onto the, the, the sidewalk just like, what is going on? From surreal to real. It's just it's, it's a weird trip, right? You've done it. Some of you have done it. Some of you have done it in great ways, right? You've gone from this news, wow, I'm going to be a parent. And then you come home one day, and there's this baby, and it's so much worse than you thought it was going to be. And messier, and more beautiful, and more real, and more concrete, and more life-changing. And you, and you love her so much, you just, you, you just can't believe how much it hurts to love something this much. And you've gone from surreal to real. Sometimes it's a very negative thing, right? My mom was diagnosed... Um, back in January of, of 2018 with cancer, and, and we knew how that was going to end. She was older and in, in pretty bad health. We knew how it was going to end. Uh, and so I started going back every third week, y'all remember, and uh, some of you do. But then one, one, one night I got there, one, one Thursday night I got there, and it was late, and she lost all this weight, and falling asleep on the couch waiting for me, and she kind of had wispy hair, and it became real. I'm about to lose her. It became real. That, that trip from surreal to real. That trip from, uh, wow, this is, this is interesting, this is fascinating, this is crazy, this is different, to this is rich and deep and serious. Today in Acts, we're going to follow the disciples as they go from the surreality of the resurrection. From, wow, Jesus is raised from the dead. Wow, the Holy Spirit is in our midst. Wow, we are filled with the Spirit. That surreal, wow, to incredibly rude awakening. This is real. This is real. It's a big deal. It's a life-changing, history-altering fact. 
and we're going to watch them as they uh, adjust, not, not just the 12 disciples, they're kind of used to this by now, but those people around them. And the way they respond is very interesting, and I think it calls for a response from us. And, and the question we have to ask as we go to this text is, does the living reality, does the weight of life and death, does the undeniable, inescapable truth of the resurrected Christ, has that truth made its way from surreal, from a family tradition, from a social club, from a really convenient kind of way to order your life so that you know what day of the week it is and you have an ethical code and you kind of know who you are. Has it gone from, from that kind of surreal to this undeniable reality of life, of truth. Where is Christ for you? Is he real? Please stand as we read from Acts chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 27, but I need to reset it for you once we get started. Let's start with verse 27. The, the, uh, the apostles have been arrested and brought before the council of the temple, and we're told this. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, Now we strictly tar- charged you not to teach in his name, and yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as Savior and leader to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel A teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up. And he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, just take care about what what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodius rose up, claiming to be somebody. And a, a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up and the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him and he too perished and all who followed him were scattered so in the present case i tell you keep away from these men and leave them alone if this plan or this undertaking is of man it'll fail but if it is of god you will not be able to overthrow them you might even be found opposing god so they took his advice and when they called in the apostles they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of jesus and let them go And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ, the Christ, is Jesus. Thus far the reading of God's word, all men are like grass and all of our glories like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. My, I mean, my question for us this morning is real simple. Is it real? Is it real? Is, is the resurrected Jesus real? 
or is it just, you know, a tradition? Is it just a, another part of our life growing up an American? Is it, is it real? The story before, uh, earlier in chapter 5, is this real rude awakening for the disciples. They start gathering together and worshiping and and the, one of the first things they realize is they need to take care of each other. They need to take care of the poor in their midst. And so those who have wealth, those who have money, begin to sell things and bring it in and put it into a common uh, pot. So if anyone has need, they can take care of it. And there was uh, one of the, them who was soon to become a leader and then eventually a missionary named Barnabas, real uh, dear man who was known as, a, as an encourager. And he went out and sold a piece of land, which... Um, it's hard to imagine like the size of that kind of sacrifice, but in those days, land was it. You were either landed or you weren't. You either had land or you were poor. Those were the only two kind of options. Land meant you security for your family. And so he went and sold land and brought it in and, and put it in the community pot. And, and people were amazed and they were thankful that Barnabas would do this. And this other couple named Ananias and Sapphira were like, hey, It'd be neat if people thought we were cool. Let's do that. I mean, we don't have to give the whole thing. Who's going to know? And they didn't have to give the whole thing. They didn't have to do anything. So they went out, and they sold a piece of land, and they kept some of it back for themselves, which was theirs to do. And But they came in, and they said, here, the whole price for the land. And the apostles looked at them and said, really? Is that the whole price? And Ananias lied. He said, yeah, it's the whole thing. And Peter said, why would you lie to the Holy Spirit? And he fell down dead. And it took him out to bury him. And just as they had gotten back from burying him, his wife, Sapphira, walks in. And the apostles look at her and say, did you sell it for this much? Yeah, the whole price. We gave the whole money to you. Look at us. Why would you lie to the Holy Spirit? And she died. And they took her out and buried her. And it was this this fear came over all of them. And it's, it's a strange story. It's the kind of story we don't expect to see in the New Testament, right? That's Old Testament stuff. But it's actually um, the kind of story that we see whenever there's a new epic, a new uh, dispensation, a new era in God's worship. When he comes along and he says, guys, this is real. For instance, after he establishes worship outside of Mount Sinai, um, and they, they build the tabernacle, and Aaron's children, Nadab and Abihu, they're, they're burning incense to the Lord, and, and they've been told exactly how to do it. But for whatever reason, these two knuckleheads just thought, well, let's do it this way. We'll just do it the way we want to do it. And they both died. And God comes along and says, guys, I'm real. I'm real. This is, not, this is not a game. I'm not a conjurer of cheap tricks. I am the Lord God Almighty, the, the creator of space, time, and dimension. I'm real. This is true. Later, King, uh, well, not King, but Joseph, sorry, Joshua is, is taking over the promised land, and he's finally he's, he's carrying out these orders that he's been given, and they go and they... Um, 
They take, they, they destroy, they see Jericho destroyed and, and they were told everything in this land, all the spoils, all the loot, all of that is for the Lord. Take none of it. Touch none of it. It is for the Lord. And this man named Achan, he sees some gold and some silver and he's like, what good is that going to do? I mean, the Lord doesn't really need it. He's got plenty. He's got the cattle on a thousand hills. He's not going to miss this cow. And so he hides it in his tent. And the Lord calls him out and has him stoned. It was, we're not going to start this way. This is real. You're going to do what I told you to do. This isn't a game. It's real. Hundreds of years later, King David is taking, his, uh, is taking the Ark of the Covenant and he wants to bring it into Jerusalem and, and he puts it on a cart and, and the the oxen stumbles and the cart hits a pothole and a, and a man named Uzzah, who for all we can tell is completely innocent, just puts his hand out to stop it from falling off. But he wasn't supposed to touch it. And Uzzah dies. And God says, this, guys, it's real. I'm real. I, I'm, the, I'm, not, I'm not your lucky charm. I'm not your mascot, right? I'm not the cowpokes. I'm not, I'm not your flag. I'm real. The Lord, God. Sometime after Ananias and Sapphira, Paul, the Apostle Paul tells us about the church in Corinth. And he says, you know, some of you come to the Lord's Supper without repentance, with no and, and you, you handle it with, with unclean hands, and you don't have faith, and you, you, you hate people within the, your own congregation. There's no unity. There's no communion. And, and he says, and because of that, some of you have gotten sick and even gone to sleep. Because it's real. It's real. And, and I think the first question for us is, has that... Has that reality dawned in upon us yet? That Christianity is not primarily something that we do. It's not primarily something that we say. But there really is this, this creator of the universe who has come down and he has, is dwelling in our own hearts and he has come as a man and, and taken away our sins and is born again from the from the grave and that it's real that it's true and the interesting thing about this text as you go home and read it this afternoon is this you would think you would think that an action like this right a death in their midst a, this overwhelming gravity of of seeing someone die because they don't believe that this is real and then you and all of a sudden everybody's convinced that it's true and real you would think that would lead to this wide-scale uh revival right like everybody be like yes i believe nobody does nobody does we're told uh, in the text right before the one i gave you but in acts 5 we're told they kept meeting in the temple but no one else came around <laughs> Where does it say? It says, Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. 
And they were all together in Solomon's portico. They were still gathering in the temple, in this, this porch in the temple. And, and it, we're told this, none of the rest dared to join them. Isn't that interesting? This, this reality, this depiction of reality, the truth of it, terrified people. We're told they held them in high esteem. <laughs> but we don't want to be one of them. can't control a God like that. We don't know what he's going to do. It's frightening. And that's, that's, I find that very interesting, but it's very true. You see, the, the, what marks, what separates followers of Christ from those who don't is not really so much a matter of belief. The, the Lord has put in, in us all this, this knowledge that he exists. And, and really, honestly, this, this, this longing, this desire to be made right with him, to be pardoned by him, we have that. It's just that we don't trust him. And our lack of trust keeps us from coming to him. And the more convinced we are that he's real, that might just make it more solid of how far we want to stay away from him. Because we're mad at him. We're scared of him. There's a, a great book. Came, it came along, you know how sometimes the Lord just sends books in your life and when you need them. And there's this book by uh, Philip, uh, Philip Jenkins, is that who it is? No, yeah, Philip Yancey. I always get them confused. Philip Yancey called uh, What's So Amazing About Grace, and he has these stories of grace and how he was basically brought from a, a very severe uh, legal kind of transactional relationship with God. You know, you do right, and I'll bless you. You do wrong, and I'll curse you. And, and, and began to see the, the goodness and the grace and the kindness of God. And, and he tells stories about people who are just not able to accept that. And one sister, who she was the oldest sister of a very abusive set of parents, and her mother had died at, a, at an early age because, basically because her father just didn't take care of her and she'd worked herself to death. And, and her father uh, ends up getting converted and, and drying out. He was an alcoholic. And, and all the other members of the family were able to forgive and embrace. And this one older sister who lived her whole life within two miles of all of her siblings, but for the last like 20 years never spoke to one of them because she could not trust her father. And her, and her basic mentality was, I don't care how much you say he's changed, I will never trust him. And I feel like that's the way a lot of people are with the Lord. They've, they've interpreted something wrongly. They, they blamed him for something that, that they, they just misunderstood, whether it be a, a death or a, or a heartbreak or a divorce or a pain or uh, something very serious. I'm not in any way trying to lighten it. But they're just mad at him. And so the more real he is, that doesn't make them want come to him. And, and that's where it's so important for us to see the, the cross in the middle of this story, the, the, this, this true God, this real God. What does he do? He, he has come to them and, and he's been crucified for them. He says, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. 
God has exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to his people and forgiveness of sins. And, and that's, that's why it's so important for us to put the cross at the middle of our relationship with him because he is real, but his reality is not an angry reality. It is not a take me as I am in, in blind submission reality. It is a I have given myself for you. I've given myself for you. It's, it's complete. There's nothing else I can hold back. Sure, I can give you anything in the world. I mean, I can get that with a word. But I gave myself for you. Your sins are forgiven in me. I've been raised from the dead for you. You can trust me. And there really is there's this, this wall between those who believe and trust him and those who believe and are afraid. And that wall remains. And I guess that's the second question for us. And the question is, okay, well, if he's real to you, if you believe him, have you, have you crossed that, that, that divide? Do you trust him? Have you received his death, his resurrection as your own? It's for you. Or is the gospel dangerous? It's, it's true. It's dangerous. He can ask whatever he wants because he's, he's given himself completely for us. But once you receive it, I don't know, it's, it's interesting. I love the way this text ends. There's so much in this text, and we could spend a year on it. And y'all have heard me preach on Gamaliel's speech pretty much every Easter. And you'll hear me preach on it every Easter because it should be a deep encouragement to you. It is true. It's true that Jesus was not the only one who, was, um, who tried to raise up and deliver Israel. He's not the only one who gathered followings. He's not the only one who claimed to be Savior, and he certainly is not the only one Rome put to death. They put a lot of them to death, and, but he's the only one whose followers said he was raised from the dead. And, you know, you, you didn't have to wait for the traffic jams of people who were worshiping Theodius this morning. You know, when a lot of people on, the, on church, you know, on the highways driving to worship Jude, but Jesus, over a billion people have gathered to worship Jesus today because he's alive. He's alive, and, and, we, and we know that. And we, I love the way this kind of ends, though, right? That they, the council says, okay, you're right. If, if this is of the Lord, we can't stop it, so let's just beat them. So they beat them. And it says, the disciples go home rejoicing that they were found worthy to suffer. And what I love about that is I think that it's just kind of this, it's just almost like a second-hand, uh, a second-hand con confirmation. I guess I really believe this. You know, because it's like one thing to say, yeah, I believe it. But there's another thing when you go, like, I wouldn't have done this. I would not have suffered if I didn't believe it. I would not have suffered if I wasn't one of his. I, I would have just kind of taken what he had to offer. But instead, I, I was counted worthy to suffer for his name because it's true. 
And, and I do think that's part of, of, of the Christian life. It always has been. It always will be that, that, that there should be things that we look at in our lives and go, why did you do that? And the answer is because it's true. Because the gospel's true. Why, why do we live the lives we live? Why do we, why do we keep our, why do we say no to our sexual impulses? Why do we put our, our church and our community first? Why do we keep our word even to our own hurt? Why do we sacrifice our, our, our lifestyles, our, our wealth, our, our time, our, our energy, our vitality? Why do we do those things? Because it's true. Because it's true. You know, I read this book last summer. Y'all are sick of hearing about it. I read one book a summer. What are you going to do? And, uh, but it was called uh, Everything Sad is Untrue. And about a boy who was born in, in Iran and moved to, uh, became a refugee in Edmond. And it was really about his mom. And his mom, who was a direct descendant of the prophet. I mean, has the, the kind of Islamic respect of, of like a religious type respect, who was a doctor, had cultural respect, whose 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 father was um, just right under the king, was a prince who had uh, inordinate wealth, who had ease, who had um, who was loved so dearly that when when she was converted, she instead of being threatened right off the bat, she received a note: <laughs> "Please hide your cross." We don't want anybody to know that you're a Christian because then we would have to punish you. And so she did hide her cross. She took a cross down from the rearview mirror and went and got a bigger one. So it couldn't be missed. And she had all that taken away from her. She lost her husband. She lost her family. She lost the, the respect of the people who loved her. She lost security. She was uh, driven out and, and homeless and uh, Abu Dhabi, she was homeless and in Italy. She finally found an American family that would sponsor her. She was brought into the housing projects and people who didn't know her and didn't understand her. She wasn't allowed to work because her degrees didn't transfer. So she went from being a doctor to being a, a custodian in a hospital. She was, she was spit upon. Her children were beaten. Her children were hated. Why did she do all these things? Because it was true. God asked all the time, why did you convert to Christianity? Because it's true. That was her answer, because it's true. And, and I, I just, I think for those of us who are older and who've been walking with the Lord for a long time, it, it, it would be encouraging for us, wouldn't it? Just to have our, our children, have our grandchildren, have somebody ask us one day, why did you do this? Why did you give that? Why did you live that way? Is there anything that we would point to and say, because it's true? Because it's true. Do we believe it? And do we trust Him? It's hard. Let's go to Him now and confess that it's hard and ask for the grace to believe Him. Please pray with me. Father, we confess that sometimes it's hard to make that, that journey from the surreal to the real, from the uh, 
uh, from the cool, neat, to the deep and profound and concrete, from the traditional um, ethic, even self-righteousness, to the frightened, to the humble, to acknowledging that there's nothing that you can't ask because there's nothing that you've withheld. Father, we want to believe this. We do. We think. We're scared. What would it look like in, in 2023 for us to be counted worthy to suffer for your son's name? We don't know. Lord, I, we confess we don't know what that would look like and we don't know if we would do it. And we pray that you would send your spirit to change us so that we would. Because your son is raised from the dead. And so it's in his perfect and precious name that we pray.